topic today, I wanted to talk about moods. Had a little experience with my granddaughter, our granddaughter, recently had uh, my daughter and her wife and two kids over for dinner a couple of days ago. And uh, it was a beautiful day out in the garden, homemade pizza, ice cream, of course, yeah, for dessert. And uh, we, Alistair was dishing up the ice cream and gave, gave the grandkids theirs first, Jameson, older grandchild, and then Emerson, younger. She's just over two, two and a half now. And uh, then <clears throat> my daughter scooped up some for Alistair because it was homemade ice cream that she had made. And so she gave him a really big cone. He was the last one to receive it. She gave him a really big cone. And Emerson looked at her cone, which had a little bump of ice cream on it, and then looked at Grantan, is what the grandkids call him. Grantan's cone was like, Big lump of ice cream and immediately goes, mine, mine, <laughs> and runs over to him and hands in hers, and then mine, mine, mine. <laughs> and he, everyone's going, including the moms and Alistair, going, no, no, this is Grandpa's. This is this is yours. And she puts her hand on his knee holds up her ice cream and just goes, sinks down, her head goes low. <laughs> and she just, <laughs> she wasn't really crying, but it was a really good act. <laughs> it was obviously, it was so cute. <laughs> it was really, um, it was interesting to me because, you no, know, it just lasted, 10, 15 seconds, and then she got back into her own ice cream cone. There's, there's two things about this that really struck me. One is it's, it's such a good example of the very, very nature within the human realm, within all of our human experiences, to follow this idea of what we want and then create a mood out of it, whether it's short-lived or long-lived, to create a mood out of this. I want this. Life now is unsatisfactory. How do I get what I want? Maybe if I just show how sad I am, <laughs> you know, and then, well, that's not working. So I'm going to eat my ice cream. The other thing that struck me about this, so I thought that was a really lovely example of just our human nature and then just accepting, okay, that didn't work and move on. The other thing that I was struck by this is that she's learning to, as we all can, she's learning to regulate. She, this is a child whose temper literally threw me when I first saw it when she was just about a year and a half old 
And for the very first time, because of COVID, for the very first time, I was able to bring her to my house and she did not like being gone from her parents, uh, taken away from her parents. And she threw a tantrum that lasted hours, like four hours. And, um, and it was more explosive than any time. I have three kids and five grandchildren now, including her. I've never seen a tantrum this dramatic. It was very, um, it really threw me. I was, I was quite concerned <laughs> with the level of anxiety for this child. And so I didn't take her again, but worked it slowly. Didn't take her again away from her parents until just a couple of weeks ago. And we worked this methodically and slowly. So over for dinner, but she doesn't have to stay. They bring her, they take her home. And then she was, and then we were getting along great. And finally I said, okay, I'm gonna try picking her up from her school. And, uh, but I'm gonna bring Jameson, her brother with her. She and Jameson are super close. So picked her from school and my daughter warned me, she still throws tantrums when it's not them that pick her up. But with Jameson there, it'll make it a little easier. And so we walk in and the counter, you can't see Jameson, you can't see Jameson. She wouldn't be able to see Jameson over the counter um, bookshelves right off the bat. So as we come in, she only sees me and she turns around and looks up, smiles and runs toward me, which is like with a big smile, which was, wow, okay, we worked this out really well. And then Jameson popped around the corner and to the door where she, she could actually see him and she was thrilled. So this is, seems to be working well. It's really lovely to see the human nature in action, you know, as it matures, if we put effort into it or when we put effort into it. It's so easy for us to stay in our heads and out of our bodies and follow that um, wish to, or our desires to fulfill the good life, to have objects or people that will supply us with a sense of um, pleasure, a sense of safety. And this is all natural human nature. This is what has helped us uh, as a race proliferate as a, you know, as a human race to be fairly successful. You know, understand what's, what uh, we can eat, what is not safe to eat, what we can mate with, what isn't safe to mate with, what we can approach, what's not safe to approach. This is all natural. But that instinct, we can, can if, if we don't pay attention to how we get wrapped up in our heads and follow 
the moods that that uh, are created by getting what we want or not getting what we want. If we stay up in our head with this, we lose contact with is what we're going after or running away from actually uh, does it apply to the present moment? Does it actually apply to the present moment? She, she didn't get the ice cream that she wanted. She's just two and a half years old. And this was a child who started life not able to regulate easily. She's, she really wanted and felt that she deserved, you know, the, the bigger ice cream. Uh, and then she, and you could see it, you could see her following her mood. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Why aren't you giving it to me? I'm so sad. And then just dropped it. Oh, well. <laughs> and went on ahead and recognized now these are bigger, these are words that she wouldn't follow, obviously, but it was obvious that she recognized that's not working in this present moment. The ice cream now is dripping on her hands, it's starting to melt. And so she first licks it all off her, her hand, and then she never went back, never even tried to get the other cone again, never even asked for more. She's regulating with the present moment. It was when we were driving in this morning, Alistair and I were driving in this morning. I don't remember what spurred this thought. It doesn't take much for me to, to, to start thinking about something I want. We're driving in and I said, now this is just a completely superficial thought. I haven't given it any more thought than just driving down the street and it popped into my mind, but just wanted to share this with you. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. I said, so don't take this seriously, but when I retire, I was thinking maybe we'll rent our house and buy a bigger Airstream and go travel the United States together. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> And then he came up with a few other ideas that actually made more sense. Um, but, you know, I, I couched it with, this is just a superficial thought. But even having worded, this is just a superficial thought, I'm finding myself like, even, even while I'm sitting here, you know, in meditation, the, the thought keeps coming back up. And I can see how my sense of desire for this kind of experience is on the verge of creating mood. By following this thought, how could we do this? And so when I come back into my body, just as this ice cream dripping on Emerson's hand brings her back into her body, into the present moment, and she just drops that which doesn't actually apply to the present moment and, and comes back and then is satisfied. And so ah, coming back into my body, 
which is not hard because my knee was really hurting. <laughs> Come back into my body. Does this actually apply in the present moment? Obviously not. Do I wanna create a mood that doesn't apply in the present moment? No. Even if it's a happy mood, are you sure? Yeah, because I'm going to, I'm not gonna get what I want. And this, this sense of desire is all about wanting. And the nature of want is to find something to want, not to be satisfied, but actually just want. So that's going to lead to discomfort. That's going to lead to suffering. That's going to lead to not getting satisfied in the moment because we're not being in the moment. We're following our proliferations. So when I think of proliferations, I visualize this is going to age me. You know, the, for those of you who remember indexes, you know, it'd be like a roller deck, it'd be a round thing, and you just kind of, <laughs> oh, there's the person I was trying to contact. That's the business I was trying to contact. It's like, it's like you know, as we begin to proliferate, we're shuffling through past experiences to recognize something familiar about this. This is a feeling and I want to satisfy this feeling. And I, I want more of this. Remember there's this. Remember what it felt like when we first received the gift of a 19 foot airstream? Remember what that felt like? That was such a good feeling. Well, imagine what it'd feel like if you got a 25 foot. Remember what it felt like when you got handed this little ice cream cone? Imagine what it'd feel like if you got that one over there. It's a lot bigger. And so we kind of start shuffling through, but it's that's all based on looking for evidence that there's more to get. There's something more to get. That's the nature of wanting more. So when we come back into the body, it helps us to be anchored in the present and we can then recognize a distorted thought as just that. We can recognize a wish to follow a desire and make that come through and make that come true, you know, bring that to us through outside objects or people. We can recognize what we're doing. We're not actually paying attention to how we're responding to the world, but we're following our thoughts. We're following our greeds or our angers, our likes, our dislikes. I like that. I don't like that. Whoa. Back off. So it's... It's natural. We all do it. The good news is that we don't have to follow our likes and dislikes. We don't have to create a mood out of the arising of wanting or not wanting. We can recognize this is the human realm. I'm going to do this. 
but I don't have to create momentum, ambition to grasp for or reject this experience. Even if it's comfortable, I don't have to try to cling on to that comfort and make sure that it sticks around for a long time. Or if it's uncomfortable, I don't have to get upset or dissatisfied. I can actually just feel what it feels like to not, to be in the presence of something I'd rather not be in the presence of, or to be in the presence of a thought that I'd rather not be having. What, is that, what does it feel like? Because when we're in the presence of the actual experience and not searching for evidence of this from past or hopeful future experiences, but just what does it feel like now? And we can do this in the body. Where's the tension? I, I tend to get it in here, right in here. Oh. And then relax this without trying to push away the thoughts. You know, just, not, we're not, we're no longer feeding into the thought by feeding it with more thoughts. But remember what it felt like? You know, yeah. And then so-and-so did something similar. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that. You know, that's feeding into the thought and creating a mood. It has a longer life because we keep feeding it. So coming into the body, being in the present, seeing where that tension is, relaxing it, then a mood is not created. And we can witness the passing of the emotional uh, or, and physical response to whatever thought was, had arisen. We can witness the passing of this physical reaction or emotional reaction. And now we're back, we're anchored in the present again. Through that witnessing, by witnessing, we're in the present again. We're not following our thought. So I'm going to read a little piece from Ajahn Pasano. I just thought this was really um, beneficial. It's called Putting Our Moods in Their Place, Beginning Our Day. Uh, this the second volume of Beginning Our Day on page 183. Uh, he gave this in uh, July of 2013. Many of you will recognize this story that he first shares. I've been thinking about Ajahn Yanadamo, recalling his most memorable interaction with Ajahn Chah while living at Wapapam. One day, while out on alms round, Ajahnanadamo had a slight argument with another monk and became stirred up and upset. When he returned to the monastery, Ajahn Chah smiled at him and uncharacteristically, in English, said, Good morning. 
Of course, Ajahn Yamadamo was really tickled with that, and this feeling of happiness arose that was uplifting for him. In the late afternoon, he went over to Ajahn Chah's dwelling place. Oftentimes, monks would go over there in the afternoon when lay people came by to pay respects and ask questions. It was a good opportunity to hear Ajahn Chah give advice. As evening approached, Ajahn Chah sent everybody off to puja except for Ajahn Yanadamo, who alone was asked to stay. He sat beneath Lumpur Chak, massaging his feet. In the distance, he could hear the chanting of evening puja with the stillness of the forest, almost palatable. Ajahn Yanadamo described it as an ethereal, heavenly experience, and he felt quite blissful. Suddenly, Ajahn Chah pulled his foot away and kicked Ajahn Yanadamo in the chest, sending him flat on his back. This was quite a shock, of course. Then Ajahn Chah said, you're not paying attention to the practice or the training. You have an argument in the morning and get upset, carrying around a mood of ill will. And then all it takes is one person to say good morning to you and you go off into a happy mood, spending the day, spending the day proliferating about that. You come over here and even more happens that pleases you. So you get into an even happier mood. And next I put you flat on your back and you're confused. That's not the mind of a practitioner. That's not the mind of somebody who is training in Dhamma. You have to be able to stop yourself from following your moods. You do your best not to be caught by them, believe in them or buy into them. That's what defines a practitioner. As one might imagine, this was an exceedingly powerful and influential teaching for Ajahn Yadadamo. For all of us, moods are woven into the fabric of our lives. We go up and down, get inspired and depressed, energetic or enervated by our moods. None of that is the essence of practice. To really practice is to see through these conditions, to see them clearly as they really are, this is just a mood. This happens to be something I like. This happens to be something I dislike. It doesn't mean we don't have feelings, but we resist picking them up and running with them all the time. As we go about our day, we need to look at the nature of our impressions, to look at the contact, the feelings, and the way moods want us to go and stop ourselves from giving into them. We have to be willing to look closely at moods and challenge them. With peaceful moods, for instance, if we get what we want and things go the way we prefer, that's not very stable. That's not a refuge at all. The refuge is in satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom. We use satipanya to cultivate truth discerning awareness at all times. We know our moods. We know they're arising and they're fading away. Whether they are pleasant or unpleasant, we don't get caught by them, nor do we follow them. We learn to relinquish this tendency of mind. And I witnessed a two and a half year old do this very thing. We all do it from time to time, but we don't really recognize it often. So, when we do this, pay attention, recognize what you've just done. You know, make an effort to see once a day that you've not 
gotten caught by the mood, but you've recognized it for what it is. And you could step back. You could recognize how you can feel, how the mind wants to feed into it. And then the heart reacts. Yeah, yeah. Or no, no. Recognize this. That's the creation of a mood. And step back. I'm not going to search for more evidence. I'm just gonna, what does this feel like? The arisen of a mood based on a thought and a reaction in my heart. What does it feel like? Where's the tension? What can I relax? Now I'm hearing the birds. Now I recognize my husband just turned on the TV or whatever it is. We come back into the present moment and acknowledge, oh, I just let go. I did, I did it. <laughs> In that moment, we are unhobbled from the cycle of suffering in that moment. So with that, I'll go ahead and open it up for questions or sharings. If you have anything you would like to share, anything we uh, resonate with you, that would be lovely to hear. If you, uh, Sarah, if you would watch for people online, if somebody would like, that would be uh, lovely. And we'll see how this goes. Um, yeah, I was reflecting while you were talking about how, for me, complaining is a way that I can draw out a feeling into a mood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just wondered if you, if you could say more about that or if you thought about that. I'm complaining specifically. Yeah, yeah. Com complaining is a way to draw, you know, to to pull ourselves into a mood. Uh, it's a it's a justification of ill will. You know, it's looking for evidence. It's finding evidence that I have a bad feeling. I don't like something. I object. And the reason I object is because so-and-so does this or flights got canceled again and now I have to wait. And this happens all the time and it happens because of, you know, whatever. We start looking for evidence and it, it builds up and then it, it moves itself out beyond the initial disturbance. And that's what, and that's where we can start to see if we pay attention, if we watch the mind start moving beyond the initial disturbance and, and uh, so, so something we don't like, it will start to find other things and it will go on and on as long as we keep feeding it, it will go on and on and find all sorts of people who have done something similar and that'll just keep stirring up this sense of ill will. And, and this complaining, I would suggest that this complaining has to do with a sense of righteousness. You know, I have the right 
to feel better than the circumstances around me or the people around me are allowing me to feel. And I can, I can come up with evidence. Here's the Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Uncle Joe! Whatever, you know. Airlines! Political people. I won't even say leaders. <laughs> you know, whatever. We're going we, to pull this up. And that is a way to feed that sense of, I have a right to complain. And so now this is natural. So we don't need to get upset with ourselves for this habit. It's human nature. We can be grateful for the practice that points us to recognizing a way out of this habit of suffering in this way. There is, there is a way out, recognizing, and especially when we look at complaining or ill will, the arising of ill will, you know, it's, we, can, we can be grateful rather than upset with ourselves, because that's just feeding into the ill will again. It's just turning it onto ourselves. I'm the same with, with greed. Um, yeah, I want... Well, once I start stating that I want a bigger, newer airstream, I'm going to proliferate around that, you know? And so, but now I can be grateful that quickly recognize that, oh, there I go. I thought I was stronger than that. Oh, even saying that, I thought I was better than that. I thought I was stronger. I thought my practice was farther along it's like either even that is a way of it's a trick of the mind to turn it in on ourselves and complain or to degrade or you know it's like feeding it i'm still feeding it so it's exciting actually to recognize that we don't have to do that when we do it you have to recognize when you do it which means you're recognizing you're doing it I'm repeating myself there, but, but as you do it, if we recognize that this is something to be grateful for this practice, you know, grateful to Ajahn Chah, grateful to Mankhopasana, grateful to Ajahn Tanisra, grateful to Ayatanisa, uh, Santusika, you know, grateful to whoever it is that keeps pointing to the, back to the teachings. It's all about what we're doing in here. This is the way out. Oh yeah, now just wait. Recently I gave a talk about wait for it. <laughs> wait for it, ah, set it down. A two and a half year old child can, is learning to regulate herself. <laughs> I, can, I certainly can do it. She can do it, I can do it. And, reckon, and we do do it. So we want to recognize, give ourselves a pat on the back. I just did it. And then it might come up again, but we're a little tiny bit stronger. We're building a habit of, of facing the habits and putting them down. This is, the good news is we can transcend you know, our knee-jerk 
reactions that have been built up all this lifetime and perhaps billions of lifetimes. I have no idea. I only know about this lifetime, my experience at this time. I can only vouch for this lifetime. But, you know, we're doing it. We're, we're our, our thoughts, our proliferations are arising all the time. Except for those moments of recognition that how to come back to the present moment, come into the body. And don't fight it. Don't fight the habit habits that arise. Just recognize, oh, this is what has arisen. This is what has just passed away. There will be a sense of relief. And know that moment too. 